Hey everyone, we just want to start this episode off with a quick content warning. There is discussion about suicide in this episode. If that's not something you're down to hear right now, we totally understand. Take care of yourself first and foremost. I also wanted to bring awareness to the new Suicide and Crisis Lifeline in the United States. If you or anyone you know is struggling with their mental health or suffering a mental health crisis, dial 988 to be immediately directed to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. Daylight is so unwelcome Sunshine is creeping across my floor The city bus is driving through my window And I can't sleep anymore Evil is standing in my doorway Death perched at the foot of my bed Destruction's all around Welcome to a special Country Brothers episode. I am Dominique Johnson. This is Dewan Johnson. We are the Country Brothers. We still black. We still brothers. And we that still like change. country music. I don't know why people are so... Look, get it in your minds, okay? It's not going to change. We've been doing this for a year now, okay? Just because I make a couple punk rock memes doesn't mean this is going to be punk rock brothers. It's still Country Brothers. Still Country Brothers, baby. And today, you know how sometimes we have special guests? Well, brother, let me tell you today, we got the most special guest. The specialist. The, the, the specialist. What's, what's, you know how they go special, specialer, and then specialist? What's after specialist? Whatever that is, it's my man, Dade Hoffman. Oh, you're too kind. Well, it's an honor to be here. I, I just want to clarify a few things off the top, which um, I'm so happy that money has, in fact, not changed you and that you are still all all the trifecta of black brothers and country fans. Yeah. First off, but once that money starts coming in, who knows? Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> that's the gauntlet. That's the gauntlet that is yet to be laid down, you know, and um, secondly, is there some chorus in the streets that is constantly questioning your country brother's bona fides? Everywhere I go, like I, I, I could be on, I could be on the bus stop, about to go to the light rail because you know I, I don't drink and, and drive. People are just harassing you. Yeah, <laughs> people just come out of nowhere and be like, "Yo, uh, is that dude you do that podcast with really your brother?" And then I'll be like, "Yeah," and then I'll get off, and then somebody else will come up to me like days later and be like, "Are you black?" And I'm like, you got to listen to the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, there's so much in there, first off. Um, but what I want to circle back to, especially, is this idea of sophistry. You know, we're living in this time right now where um, the Internet makes determinable any set of facts about reality you'd like. Yeah. And... Um, Furthermore, there's always been an ambiguity around the human voice, right? Um, sometimes to the benefit of the doubt. I'm thinking of Johnny Cochran here. How does somebody sound black, right? Mm. Right. That's an idea that existed. Does in the, the glove 90s. fit? You must acquit. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, we have a sense 
of sort of intuitive knowing that comes from the intimacy of hearing one's voice in your ears, right? So I wonder, do people come up to you and demand that you uh, give some hyped up intro to identify yourself? Like how do these altercations take place? Well, to be fair, when I'm not recording, I have the white comedy guy voice <laughs> that black comedians use. This is a Richard Pryor. That's very so, good. <laughs> yeah, we're putting on. We're putting on right now. This isn't really our real voices. <laughs> we're going to um, we're going to violate so many sort of uh, perceptions and norms here. You know, you got to be careful with where you're going with this. That's the fourth thing the Country Brothers are known for. So we're <laughs> we're we're ready on cracks and breaking mother's backs wherever you go you know what i mean you're damn right you're damn right when i was little i was very mindful of what cracks <laughs> if it was a uh if it was a crack that was like a purposeful this is like the spot of the like you know how they put in some cities it'll be like a like on the sidewalk it'll be just different squares i can yes. step on those cracks but if it was a net if it was a natural crack i wouldn't step on it because god yeah. forbid my mom's back break if, yeah, so if it's some kind of like root structure that's disturbing a curb or whatever, like some sort of uh, point of contention between nature and the built environment, like that, that, that is in some kind of portal into the dark arts there, right? Like yeah, that's I'm going to hop over that. That's some space where, um, you know, what is and what would be come together. And we can't get mixed up in that kind of magic. You know, yeah, Candyman might not be real, but I ain't gonna find out. <laughs> I'll never know. Watch Bloody Mary, all that. <laughs> right, totally, totally. All right, so, so we gonna we gonna we gonna start this the way we start every other show. Uh, you been listening to anything cool lately, or any cool movies or anything? You know, I've been following my 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 new favorite record is the January sixth congressional hearings. You know, that's a banger. Are you guys are you Yo. guys into that one? I am I am all in. I've been uh collecting all the albums, singles, seven inches. I mean I'm just I'm just I got the all back patch. You know what I mean? I made a back patch the other day. I'm telling you, I, I put it on my punk rock uh vest. I'm I'm ready to go. I just watch it with the sound off and I listen to it's my party and I'll cry if I want to. You know? <laughs> That's it's awesome. Much sort of like dark side of the is. moon. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's, no. That's... Um <laughs> No, I'll answer it seriously. Um, what am I listening to? Well, uh, of course, my collaborators, uh, Garrett T. Caps and uh, Bad Boy Croy. Shout out. Con constantly. Just, so you, just so you know, I put on Margarita Margarita when I go to this bar, just because <laughs> it's like a, it's, it can be cool people there, but for the most part, it's kind of like just like Mesa Towny weirdos and like just like mean old white men. <laughs> And I'll play that like Los Tigres del Norte, and then I'll throw on some, some like prime Corey demographics right there, man. Yeah, that's Corey's people right there, you know. And it, 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 until that song comes on, then they're like, "What is this? Oh, why aren't you spot. Why aren't you putting on Pearl Jam for the tenth time in a row?" So, but there's yeah. always one person in the uh, in the periphery that's just like, "Whoever put this on, thank you. This is beautiful." Yeah, that person belongs to an electric workers union, probably. <laughs> Shout out to Croy. Local 538, whatever the fuck. Uh, Local IBW. 69, 420. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, 
Ryan Samble. You guys know Ryan Samble? He's incredible. I don't. He had a record out, uh, I guess, last year called Gestalt. Um, that's excellent. And um, he was the front man and sort of primary, I think, songwriter of the Strange Boys, um, which was a group in Austin in the sort of mid-aughts that kicked up a lot of dust. Um, so, yeah, Ryan Samble's uh, recordings are, uh, have been on perpetual repeat in my on my uh player here and um and then of course what we're going to talk about today uh i've been doing all of my homework but i won't get in front of that and um on the literary front i i want to recommend that uh jennifer egan has a new book out and um i uh i'm actually going to get it today but i think it's called um hang on i'm going to look it up and you can cut this together to where i don't sound like an idiot now we leave all the idiot stuff in. Okay, very good. <laughs> <laughs> what is Jennifer Egan's new? She wrote that um, a visit from the, the Candy House, God. is it? The Candy House. There you go. Yes, exactly. And she wrote that it's a follow up to um, a visit from the Goon Squad, which is probably one of my like top five uh, favorite pieces of fiction. Um, so uh, I'm really excited. I'm anticipating that. I haven't. I haven't seen it. I haven't read it yet, but I'm. Uh, it's. Uh, I'm literally going to go buy it today. I'm just getting settled in here in my new habitat, and I'm going to go find um, some new bookstores in my area. Nice. Now I feel like I need a. I need a. You. Know, I read books too, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> What's the last book you read, Don? Shit. What? Gerald's Game when I was in high school. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not familiar with that work. It's a Stephen King book. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, it's pretty good from what I remember. I will say that uh, Stephen King, he has this book called On Writing that is excellent. I have read uh, that. Yeah, it's really good. I mean, I'm just, there's probably people who listen to this show who are writers, aspiring writers, maybe frustrated writers, and uh, they probably have some attitudes about Stephen King. Some might be positive, some might be negative, but I would say that when it comes to the craft of writing, how one can write seriously, diligently. Uh, Stephen King has a lot of really great advice about that. Yeah. We you heard it here, jump. folks, on a Writer Brothers <laughs> podcast. <laughs> We're no longer talking about country music. This is a prose <laughs> exploration. Country music is a form of prose, I would say. You know? Very true. Part of the Very American true. letters tradition. You know? You know what? We're back, baby. Country Brothers is back. And definitely who we're going to talk about today, I would say threads that needle, you know, looks to sort of uh, hem those two or one of the sort of um, materials that are hemmed together in the songcraft of David Berman is the sort of obsession with American, uh, particularly modern and postmodern American literary traditions and country music as a form of American letters and as a form of reporting and sort of folk poetry hell yeah see this is about to this say that exact same thing <laughs> it's all you stole my words <laughs> <laughs> you were asking what's past the specialist i think it's bullshit artists i believe that's what that's my that's what i go by it's my it's my official credential from that's how we all roll academic experience yeah before we get going i'll, I'll talk about uh what I'm listening to, I hope I didn't steal it from you, Dominique, but the uh, 
the new Willie Carlisle album is hands down it's gonna be the album of the year. I'm calling it. So uh, I learned about music from you guys. It's one of the things I like about the show. That thing that's why we like doing this like early part before we like jump in because yeah, we're trying to like get people hip to what we dig outside of like what we're just gonna talk about and honky tonking and this that whatever. But man. The new Willie Carlisle album, it's it's a lot of truth in it, but it's a lot of fun. It, it doesn't bog you down with like just being overly uh sad or or just too <laughs> earnest. Like there's 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 depth to it that's really rad. There it's there's funny emo- there's funny parts in some parts, but his pen game is like right up there with like John Prine and, and like Townsend oh, yeah. and all those. That cats. is high like, praise. These, yes. And when I got to uh I got to interview him. It wasn't for uh, Country Brothers, but it was on the uh, Wasteoids. And that was a good interview because you got to see a side of him that, like, most people, when you hear his interviews, they want to just kind of, like, ask him really thoughtful questions. And I just asked him about football and punk rock and what his favorite was. Yeah, but but (laughs) – but but you get to see you get to see a side of him that like you probably wouldn't see because his music is so like earnest and and beautiful and pretty uh, that you know, you would have known that like he kind of dug football and he was big showing the man uh, behind all that uh, yeah, flowery the, the, song craft yeah totally it, it was it was rad so that's my favorite album and I think I'll be listening to that for the rest of the uh, rest of the weekend and then uh, oh yeah and the Armed came out with a new live album. And that's insane. So I haven't seen them live for real. So it was nice to hear like live renditions that sound actually good and not just YouTube rips. So and live the live the live album is really I think the last great live album that I've heard was Avail live from the cover dish. And uh or maybe that was Man. I think it was an Avail Hot Water Music split, wasn't it? I, do you remember what I'm talking about? I do know, you know what, what you're I'm talking, talking about? about. That was a while ago. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. That's have you saying. have you listened to uh well I guess that answers the question, but Tim Barry came out with a uh with a live album of just kind of like know. almost like a greatest hits that's insanely good too. Came out like last year, I think. What so I mean, is it acoustic? What are we, what are we talking about? It's here? acoustic. Yeah, yeah. It's just okay. it's just all his acoustic stuff. Mm-hmm. But of course he's storytelling and talking shit and making a bunch of old punk rockers cry, like as he is wont to do. I do, I do love that because it kind of has like the quality of like a play or something. Then do you know what I mean? Like when they're when it's the yeah. full live set, when it's not just like hemmed together, like sort of stitched yeah. together live recordings from various sets, you know. But instead, mm-hmm. it's like here is the full, uh, you know, um, performance experience, sort of with the storytelling yeah. and the crowd work and all that shit. Live at the Old Brook Road Tavern. Totally. Totally. Oh, so ain't nobody gonna put no respect on Dave Matthews and Tim Reynolds live at Luther College? <laughs> I see what this I mean, is. I, mean, I see what's happening. That's, that's, that's like too far for me. No, no. The, the yeah. premiere In live the, album. That Saddam Hussein was iconic. Yeah, totally. Or or Adolf Hitler. Yeah. <laughs> Damn, you must really not like Tim Reynolds. I, I know you love I Dave re- Matthews, but Tim really Reynolds, he's just like I really Tim can't stand Tim Reynolds. Tim Reynolds. <laughs> I really. I've started a lot of rumors about the internet. I tried to get them to go to his pizza place, but it didn't work. You know, they said that they were using stuff from the socks. Yeah, it didn't take. 
Yeah, you, you have been listening to the January 6th uh, stuff. Do you listen to <laughs> yeah. Do you listen to the QAnon Anonymous podcast? I don't. I should get into that. I don't. I don't Dude, know that. No. It is the greatest podcast ever because it's funny. It's not just like self serious. <laughs> so they make jokes about it. It's the best. I listen to it every week. I think you'd like it. <laughs> um. Okay. QAnon Anonymous podcast. All right. This is gonna like take me to some the list that I'm already on. Is is that what's happening here? Like, hey man, this this, we, this elevates me to some new that the FBI has yet to identify to us. The country you know brothers I mean? ain't no snitch. We'll, we'll redact this if we need to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Xavier, redact some shit. <laughs> Whatever yeah, you feel like works. needs to be redacted. <laughs> That's what I like out of my editor is ruthlessness. <laughs> Dominique, what have you been listening oh, oh. to? Also, real quick, Xavier, uh, I, I want to hear your... <laughs> I want to hear your rundown of uh, who do you think is going to win at the uh, the next Ring of Honor pay-per-view, particularly how you think the Briscoes versus FTR is going to go. Uh, I'm pretty sure everybody wants to hear about that. So Ring of Honor is having their pay-per-view this weekend. I'm super excited. Um, so I'll just kind of go through the card real quick, tell you who I think is going to win. Uh, so we have Mercedes Martinez versus Serena Deeb. Uh, I kind of hope Serena Deeb wins. I really like her. And if anyone out there watches AEW Dark, it seems like they're setting up Serena Deeb to have like a stable of young wrestlers um, to be her backup, which I think is super cool. So next we have, uh, what is it, Jay Lethal versus Samoa Joe. I have no idea how this one's going to go. I feel like I'm leaning towards Jay Lethal winning with the help of Sutton Singh, and it sort of lets Samoa Joe kind of go off into something else and, you know, have Jay Lethal there all the time. Jonathan Gresham versus Claudio Castagnoli. I think this match is going to be really, really cool. And I'm still leaning towards Jonathan Gresham winning. I think he'll beat Claudio and then challenge Brian Danielson. And that'll sort of be maybe the big match for All Out Weekend. Uh, maybe they'll have like some Ring of Honor representation on that show. I think it'd be pretty dope. Um, and then we are headed to Wheeler, Wheeler Yuta versus Daniel Garcia, which is going to be uh, really cool. Probably like low to the ground technical wrestling match. I think Wheeler Yuta wins and, uh, you know, probably has like the match of the night, I would say. And then hopefully what is probably going to be the main event, best two out of three falls, FTR versus the Briscoes. I think FTR wins it. I think FTR is on fire right now. I can't see them losing in, in you know, for quite a while. And I would love to see FTR just continue this belt collector gimmick because they're the best tag team on earth right now. So is he into fighting, little brother? Uh, we we he, pro wrestler, I Dungeons and Dragons. You know, I, <laughs> I never Magic know the where. Gathering. Okay, yeah, I never know where these lines are in terms of uh, what's professional wrestling, what's MMA, and what are are sort of multiplayer. What do they call it? RPG? Is that what it's called? Yeah, RPG. RPGs. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. Um, I mean, I feel like there's a world where they all sort of connect. You know what I'm trying to say? Like there. I mean, if you if you a cool nerd, then yeah, they all it it's yeah, all there's the a same sweet spot. Thing. That's right. Yeah, yeah. there <laughs> is a sweet spot. <laughs> Not everybody can like make it to the mountaintop. Yeah, I I don't I'm not I don't go much for the organized. I mean, I loved wrestling when I was a kid. Like, I'm 40 years old, right? So I came up in the sort of I came up in two sort of um, I think somewhat universal experiences for. Uh, you know, people of our generation, which is 
uh, one was sort of the rise of neocon country, right? Like was the way that country music in particular was you deployed as a part of the original invasion of Iraq, right? You know, sure. um, yeah, Toby you know, Keith fast. Totally. And that sort of framed country music for me. And I think a whole set of people in our generation who were interested in underground culture as being, mm-hmm. you know, the opposite of whatever we believed in, you know, sort of being flag waving, heteronormative, just all the, you know, sort of straw men that we could prop up there and stuff, you know, turned out not to be true, but you know, some elements of it uh, were there and, and, and that's what, you know, had the disproportionate amount of attention from the national media. But, and the, the second thing was sort of the rise of WWF, right? Like the, the full on Hogan, Hulk Hogan era and uh, Hulkamaniacs, I think is what we were called. You know, I look back on yeah, that now yeah, and I think like, that's probably the closest I've ever come to fascism. You know, it's like being a Hulkamaniac. Hulk can do no wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. Because, I mean, like, there, like we obviously know now that there is a shitload that we want to... What is his real name? Terry something or another? Terry Bollea. Thank you so much. See, I love that you're on the facts. You're, you're <laughs> coming, coming with the pop culture references. You're really firing on all cylinders today. Yeah, so, I'm firing who's, who's responsible for, in some ways, you know, along with Peter Thiel the death of Gawker and in, and the chilling effect that sort of rippled through the internet, you know, I, I sort of see the death of Gawker as being that the true death knell in the internet is a wild place. And the, the signal of the internet becoming a gentrified space, which is, you know, the internet that we find ourselves in today. Yeah. You know? All anonymous questions on Instagram stories and cul-de-sac through apps and stuff, you know, pasteurized and sanitized you know um controlled a controlled space um and you know often that control is um centered around moneyed interest so uh in many ways like terry vallejo's presence you know and 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 what we how we can draw that connection back to to us as kids is you know we were the fuel that turned this sort of see movie would be porn star actor into the um you know the the figure the powerful figure in the position to abuse individuals and um and and sort of uh no no bounds to his decrepit appetite yeah, we you were know, we, we were holding youth we did that Hogan we youth. are responsible for that exactly <laughs> so i was just know, a kid of... i didn't know <laughs> yeah i was following orders um, that was like know, that movie, The White Ribbon. I don't know that, that one. That, it's Tell it's me pretty more. much about like the rise of the uh, Hitler Youth. It's like a black and white. Uh, the dude that did uh, Funny Games. Okay, Michael Haneke. I'm here for it. Yes, that's a great it's, film. It's a good movie. You're talking about the remake of of Funny Games. You're talking about the one from the late 2000s or something like I that. I mean, right? to be, they're both shot for shot and with the same director, so they're both. As far as I'm concerned, they're both pretty good, but. Really? I didn't, okay. Yeah, though it's okay. it's uh, it's the same dude. He just directed both of them. <laughs> yep. And it's pretty much shot for shot, except with like newer and more like noticeable. But I would uh, argue actors. it takes me out of it a little bit knowing that like seeing celebrities as opposed to people you never always seen agree before. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I always want to see a, a blank slate. Like I want to be able to project whatever 
you know, onto this face in this performance. I want to be funny games. <laughs> We're all funny games now. At this point. <laughs> yeah. All right, but you know what? This ain't the Funny Games podcast. It's the Country Brothers podcast. We can talk about funny games. Look, if you want to talk about funny games, uh, hit us up on Instagram and we, we can slide do, in uh, DMs. Slide in the funny game DMs. Yeah, slide in them DMs. It ain't got to be nasty, but it could be. It could just be a what's up. It could just be, we could talk about wrestling. The Briscoes. That could be nasty too. Yeah, that could be nasty. Coco. That definitely no is nasty. There's yeah. no way that people don't accidentally stick fingers and all kinds of other appendages into orifices while they're wrestling one another. There's not hey, a doubt that Hulk Hogan all, hasn't been visually penetrated. If you're having a barbed wire match, N- nothing's more intimate than a barbed wire match. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's a lot of fluids exchanging. Yeah. Yeah. All, all the fluids. One hundred percent of you off track. I'm sorry. Match. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Here, let me. You're trying to. You're trying to get to the thing here, and I'm. <laughs> we'll never get to it. It's your way. Fine. Yeah. Also, before we do get to it, uh, the album of the year is going to be Frank Turner's FTHC. I'm calling it. So. Wow. Well, we'll see. Uh, but today, we're going to talk about some pretty dope shit. Y'all motherfuckers ever heard of the Silver Jews? Because if huh? you have, obviously, you understand how fun it is, upbeat. How, uh, you can just, <laughs> this this, is, what, this is the music you want to put on when you're, uh, like, when just people are children. starting to come to the party. want to share with small like, children. Yeah. yeah, you want to you you want your uh, niece and nephews to listen to this, you know? It's it's, it's positive. This stuff. is Monday morning music, you know what I mean? Like this is you trying Fresh to set the tone the shower, for the week. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Throw on some silver yeah. juice and put on uh, like right before you're ready to leave the house. Just put on that uh, that Purple Mountains album to shake it off. Yeah, totally. And then, you're ready. Um, you're ready to take on the world. There used to be this. Um, a, uh, I'm from the tri-state area, you know, and um, rode the bus a lot as a kid and used to ride the bus. Uh, I was on the same route with this guy, old dude, trench coat, shopping cart, plastic bags tied around the shoes, surgical mask, the whole deal, right? And he had a little Walkman and he would always be jamming out to this Walkman so hard. And um, I would always like speculate as to what was on the Walkman, you know? And uh, one time he takes the Walkman off and he sort of sets it on his neck as he's doing something like adjusting the surgical mask or something. And it was uh, James Earl Jones read Schindler's List. <laughs> what? You know what's funny? I was going to make a joke similar to that. And that, that was, was the, the reality is better than anything a joke could be. <laughs> it was James Earl Jones. It was, Darth Vader, it was Darth Vader reading Schindler's List, the audio book of Schindler's List. Yeah. And that's our show, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> God damn. All right. So, yeah, we uh, talk about David Berman. I think we all, uh, <clears throat> you know, fuck with uh, Silver Jews a little bit. Uh, we all like the Purple Mountains album. Uh, so, I, we, we, we talked a couple weeks ago and thought that it was pretty interesting to look at kind of David Berman's place. Uh, in kind of music, nerd, indie rock, pop culture, because you know he was he was you know the, the pavement guy. Then the pavement guy got huge, 
And then Silver Jews is like, oh, I'm, we, we're the Silver Jews, but we was first. But then the pavement guy is like, nah, bro, we pavement. And then he's like, ah, but I'm also Purple Mountains. Don't forget about me. And he killed himself. We should let's really pull back the curtain here. Let's really let's <laughs> let's get into the shits here. So, so that's the macro. Here's now what really get into it. here's what really happened. Here here's here's exactly what happened. Is that <laughs> I knew that you were fans of the pod that I produce. I was a fan of the pod that you produce. I invited myself to be on your show. <laughs> and then you were like, "What can we talk about?" And I'm like, "Okay, turns out that I only like Bill Callahan." Terry Allen, fucking, like, just bullshit, like, Beck's one foot in the grave. Shit that nobody likes, <laughs> except for me. And, like, is not at, at all in your sweet spot. And the only, the only thing, I gave you a list, a comprehensive list, which is my want. And the only thing that you could find acceptable was the Silver Jews. So that's where we find ourselves today, that we're going to work our way well actually you've designed a rather ingenious scheme so as to avoid having to slog through the discography of dc berman and instead you want to set up or i've sort of set you up and you want to sort of bring home what the structure of our conversation will be here today yeah duan you got that you, you, you can do that pretty much uh what we wanted to do was kind of like talk about like more so his influence on uh, kind of like the trajectory of like like the alt-country scene and like country music because when you listen to the Silver Jews especially, that third album that was kind of like the breakout album, if that came out even... American Water is what we're, is American that what we're talking Water, about. Yes. Right, okay. If, if that came out even four years later that album would have been like the talk of the town on all fucking uh, like alt country type scenes. You know what I mean? The, it would have been, it would have been up there with like uh Yankee Foxtrot hotel with Wilco, even though let's be honest, that's not necessarily alt country. They just got clumped in there, but silver Jews would have got clumped in there too. But since it was 1998, it really didn't, it did. There was no, there was no, uh, there was no way to to speak of it. Like, yes, you had like early Wilco, and like we talked about, you had uh, Uncle Tupelo, and 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 Son Volt, Uncle Steve Austin. Yeah, you had uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin. He was one of the uh, stalwarts of the alt country scene, and like just the the, the way it fits in, and even with the uh, the Purple Mountain stuff. It just seems like that's as depressing as that album was. It still had like jangly, alt country guitars, For and sure. it seems like he wanted to. When you listen to it, it seems like he wanted to go in that direction. But like I remember, you was telling us that like he thought himself to be such a, a high poet that maybe he didn't want to take his music to this country lane. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. I mean, so, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot there. Um, first, you know, just for clarity's sake, you know, we're going to look at, um, you know, I don't know how deeply, but we're going to look at the first, 
was sort of the first full length Jews record out on um, what I think of as being probably the greatest alt country record label of the '90s, Drag City, and um, that album is called Starlight Walker. And we're gonna Woo! look at exactly, and we're gonna sort of that's one bookend, and the other bookend of this conversation is the Purple Mountain self-titled record, which is another solo record from David Berman. Um, and what was, uh, was that on Drag City as well? I think it was. Do we know? That album uh, was on, let's see. And I know it, it was, was either Drag City or No Limit. <laughs> and one of the two. That was Speech that explains all that uh, stuff there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did miss the Silk the Shocker um remix on you know on that. It was Drag um, City. It was Drag City. Mm-hmm. Right. And I believe it's produced by the guy behind Woodsist, right? Um I'm really taking us far afield here now. But my point about that is is um we're looking sort of at the record that set the template and then the record where Berman was established as a figure. And so there's a lot of received ideas about what a DC Berman record should be like. Like when he made Starlight Walker, there were no Silver Juice fans. When he made Purple Mountains, there were shit. Everybody that made the record with him was a Silver Juice mm-hmm. fan. You know, no, well, there were tr- no Silver it, Juice fans. Is it true that like he never uh, toured? I was listening to a couple of podcasts and like reading some stuff and it was like, he never went on tour. And I found that like, almost like impossible because he, he was still, reluctant he had, like... to tour yeah he was okay. reluctant to tour i mean they you know they they did tour of course uh um, i saw a really great show of of theirs in the um i want to say it was in uh chattanooga tennessee it was in the um in this lookout mountain like in the caverns there and stuff i mm-hmm. i think it was maybe one of their last um sets but um and there's this famous uh document or shouldn't say famous there's this sort of you know lauded documentary um i think it just might be called silver jew and it's about their tour to jerusalem and uh, you know towards the end of berman was a jew and um tour and he had a sort of complicated relationship like dylan um, with his faith and uh you know sort of seesaw back and yo-yo back and forth um uh the extent to which uh, and and that and that yo-yo was often um uh the momentum that sort of uh, thrust that yo-yo back and forth was often his relationship to chemicals his sort of his struggle with addiction um, yeah. so you know he'd often sort of you know go through these bouts of um, really self-destructive behavior that were often fueled by you know extreme drug use and and those would sort of be um characterized with his kind of um agnostic or, or atheistic uh, tendencies. And, and then he'd enter into periods of recovery and he'd often sort of, you know, have a spiritual awakening and uh, look to his Judaism as a means of grounding that kind of euphoria that comes with new sobriety. And during the, the tour, the film, the documentary that, that, uh, that um, follows his tour, he's um, in a period of renewal and he's very interested in um, his Judaism, and he's looking at his Judaism in the context of an ancient place. Um, so it's really quite beautiful. The documentary I, I recommend it to to folks. Um, you know, even if you don't give a shit about DC Berman or whatever, just 
sort of a beautiful yeah. um, thing to watch psychologically. An artist coming to terms with elements of their identity and their faith in an ancient place and seeing themselves in a kind of a history scape, you know, that goes far beyond like any of our lifetimes. And William Tyler is in the doc, you know, he's a great um, a musician in his own right. He's made many um, very interesting instrumental records and is a great sort of Nashville storyteller as well. So, um, and he, William Tyler played in uh, Berman's band for, uh, years um in the good years i should say so anyway i interrupted you there oh that's what, i mean in, interrupt away like that <laughs> yeah that's not a problem for us at all um what album not necessarily in terms of uh because I, I, as far as i'm concerned like a lot of the, a lot of his stuff that that i was listening to it was the cumberland bit, caverns it was the cumberland caverns go ahead oh where you saw him yes go how ahead. was the show Oh my God. Transcendent. You know, I mean, that's a really obnoxious thing to say. Um, it, you know, if I look, I mean, I think like all things, you know, the we, there's a sort of a sepia tone that filters into our memories, you know, the sort of corners become vignetted and cloudy and everybody sure. seems rosier cheeked and stuff. So yeah, I look back at it now and I think that's like one of the greatest times of my life. I mean, I remember at the time thinking it was really hard to get to and uh, parking and, you know, um, I always have this anxiety in those situations where, um, uh, I don't know, I, you ever like look around at, and you're in a show, you look around and you think, is this what I'm like? You see all the other people around you, you know, it's <laughs> kind of like, right? like that Groucho Marx joke, you know, like I would never belong to a club that would have somebody like me as a member, you know, <laughs> yeah. yep. that's kind of like how I go through every day, you know? So in those, in the times that they're happening, I probably am miserable, but when I yeah. look back, I'm, glad that i forced myself to be miserable that that show at the dirty dmv that i went to it was, it was really cool <laughs> then, then you think about it, it was like it was like 20 people there half of them were probably like crazy drug addicts and i was the and only tuberculosis. one yeah exactly right. and, on and, and then the car broke ah, down but good old days. Just, just really dope. yeah you're like the good old days yeah the bad old days that's what i always call them the bad old days you know Exactly. Once you start thinking about it, <laughs> we synthesize happiness, you know, and I think um, that is a that is something that Berman, you know, is particularly keen at um, satirizing. And I, I, I want to go far afield for a second where um, I'm getting way ahead or off the rails or I don't know. Well, I, don't even... I was about to say, just to be clear, Please. like, I think this is a conversation we'll, we kind of want to have. Like talking about just a particular album is cool, and talking about like how an album made you feel and all that, it, it, it's fine. Or talking about particular songs, but it, like I think a lot of the conversation we like to have when we do talk about uh, even but particular albums is like the the like beyond macro of it. So like when you when you yeah, want the to personal get a aspect bit, of how you yeah. So when, if you do want to like kind of like hey go off on a tangent go go off, you know what I mean? Like I think that's more. I don't know. Anybody can listen to the Rolling Stones interview or they can listen to uh, a podcast that's dedicated to like the, like the dissect podcast. That's not what we do. I don't think that's not what we're really here for. Like that, that I don't find that particularly interesting. So like if, if you have something like rad to say about how the, the albums made you feel or even just that part and then go off on to something else, that's what we want from you. 
<laughs> I think that's like the the raddest way to go about it. So tangent away, very, my man. Very good. So there is that. That's the permission structure that I was looking for. There cool. is this um, photograph that I, if you're have the unfortunate circumstance of being on a text thread with me, eventually will be sent your way, and it's um, taken some time in the. I would guess early aughts, and it is uh, Harmony Corinne, you know, the director of, yeah, um, right, you guys know who Harmony Corinne is, right? I mean, I know you know who Harmony Corinne is, but I'm the listener, I'm guessing, probably knows who Harmony Corinne is as well. All of so. our listeners are very hip. So. <laughs> we've done the demographic research. Yes, yeah. we've zeroed in. Yes, only the creme of the creme. Only the vibe merchants, you know, and people that yeah, use the word curate. Come to find out. Yeah. <laughs> people that throw around the word curate and shit. In this photograph, you got Harmony Corinne. You have Will Oldham, who, you know, we know who Will Oldham is, obviously, Bonnie mm-hmm. Prince Billy and Palace Music and so on and so forth, right? And then you have uh, David Berman. And they're sort of like all, you know, arms around one another in some night spot in Nashville. And I often send this around and say, you know, imagine... You know, I often imagine this this Nashville, this sort of postmodern uh, Nashville. You know, this is nothing to do with Robert Altman's Nashville. This is an entirely For different sure. idea, you know. But I think actually the director that we could, the filmmaker that we could most closely parallel Berman's work to is um, Charlie Kaufman. I mean, I don't know if you can call Charlie Kaufman a filmmaker. I guess he's more of a, a writer, but, you know, he did... Um, uh, adaptation and Schenectady and yeah, uh, all his movies have a vibe. Totally. Oh, yeah, I, would, I, I would say filmmaker for sure. Right. I think we can call him a filmmaker. I mean, he's made films as well, but, uh, but he often is more of a writer, I guess. And, um, and I see a deep parallelism between Kaufman's tone and work and Berman's specifically around the use of the cliche. And that's something that also intersects with country music. You know, the idea that cliches are actually beautiful things. They're, why, do, why does a cliche exist in the first place? Well, because it summarizes some deep truth, some deep mm-hmm. and obvious truth, right? And, and it's just through its repetition that it becomes meaningless. But there is a pathos embedded in every cliche. And it's the real artist who can go and who can sort of autopsy that idea and remind us that there's blood and guts at the center of it i think that's something that they share and that's rooted in you know this the ideas of that uh animate early country music that's kind of what i was uh i was thinking about the cliche aspect when i was listening to the the purple mountains record this morning right on because I think there were, uh, there, I think all the songs are great, but there's three songs in a row that I think to me hit the hardest because I think they're the most like kind of universal, like relatable kind of things. It was uh, Margarita's at the mall. Totally. She's making friends. I'm turning stranger. And I love being my mother's son. Oh. Uh, the uh, Specifically to what you were just talking about, She's making friends. I'm turning stranger. You know that's that's a that's a country music thing of yeah. like that like that one song. It's like Gary um, Stewart, man. I'm she's yeah. drinking doubles. You know what I mean? Yeah, she's I, up I, in single. I, I'm drinking doubles. 
Yep. <laughs> and he, I, I read a, a, a interview and he was like, yeah, that's exactly where that came from. But the, the, the kind of twist on that, I thought was like super interesting. It didn't make her to be the bad guy. Like if you go through the lyrics, it really is like we're together and she likes people and I don't. And people don't like me because I don't like them. So I'm just around and she's out, you know, making friends and doing things. And he's just making strangers. And I was like, what the fuck? You making strangers? That shit was amazing to me when I heard it. That's uh, it's fucking dead on, man. I mean, I will um, send the listener to look for another image. And um, it's a photograph of... Uh, I'm blanking on the guy's name. He's married to Amanda Shire. I'm, it's, I'm embarrassed to not know this. I mean, to, to have lost this name. But you guys know who I'm talking about. He's a guitar god. He was in the... Um, he was in the drive-by truckers and uh um, you talking about jason isbell oh jason, jason isbell. okay so there's this photograph yeah see that's embarrassing i mean to not have jason isbell's name on top i mean i'm not the capable dope. of embarrassment yeah well, well, well we find a lot of disagreement there but um the day Matthews the of, of, uh, <laughs> exactly i think you're really on to something that we have a newsletter i can subscribe to <laughs> <laughs> your thesis intrigues me tell me more um so, okay, so I'm sending the listener to look for this to look for this image. So it's a photograph of, of, I just blanked on the motherfucker's name again. I smoked too much weed before I got on this call. I'm sorry, guys. I Jason, 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 Jason Isbell, the dope. Jason we talk Isbell, about him on every show. Jason Isbell, the the greatest guitar player in American history. Um, no, I'm John sure. Mayer. I'm sure. I'm sure he's a love. I saw John Mayer the other day on. Um, Watch what happens live with Andy Cohen on Bravo. Me and my wife watch um, Below Deck. You know that show? I know that show. <laughs> I can only watch the uh, Bravo shows where people have a job. It's the proletariat in me. You know what I mean? I can't. I can't just deal. I can't just deal with a frivolous celebrity class. But if you have an upstairs downstairs paradigm and your reality shit, I'm fucking there, man. That's you know why I like it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I love. I'm just waiting for them to organize. Like, yep. I'm like, when are they going to meet me? Like, what is the mutiny? <laughs> you know, I'm just waiting for the below deck where there's blood. There will be below deck blood. Um, okay, so uh, Jason Isbell and David Berman is a photograph of Jason Isbell and David Berman. And the thing that, about this photograph is you can't tell who asked for it, is the first thing. Like, Berman looks fucking crazy miserable. And Isbell looks like he has no idea who the fuck David Berman is. So, you know, the origin of this photograph is mysterious to me in terms of its impetus. Like, why, you know, who wanted this photo? Like, did, I, I do have enough respect for Isbell to imagine that he could identify Berman if they were out and about in Nashville or something. It's like, holy shit, that's he's David a, Berman. He's a cool I, guy. Like, when you yeah, listen to his interviews, he's, he's got to be cool. Like music. I, totally. I think he would know Silver Jesus. Totally, totally. He, he clearly is a music fan and has good taste and all yeah. that shit. You know, he's clearly a good, um, you know, interested in, in shit that I'm interested in, too. So I got to imagine that it's uh, Isbell, who, right, is obviously, you know, by any metric you want, more famous, successful, ha like, whatever index you want to use to measure happiness levels, Isbell's score is going to be much higher than Berman's, right? Just in general, sure. like the Q rating, everything, right? So, and you see this photo 
And it epitomizes that idea that you just highlighted, like that, you know, here is this person who's probably much famous, much more, you know, successful, whatever, and sees you and recognizes you and wants, you know, a photograph with you, like wants, you know, respects you. And some people would see that as an opportunity, right? To be like, you know, like maybe I've been down, my, my demons have got the best of me, but look at this, like people love what I do. People believe in me. Like, let me, let me connect with this guy, right? You know what I mean? Like, let me get another bite at this apple or whatever. Instead, Berman is fucking miserable, you know? And, and of course, nothing comes to the photo. It's, it's sort of like this meme. It's sort of like this, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even say it rises to the level of a meme other than, you know, on a, if you have the displeasure of being on a text thread with me. But <laughs> it epitomizes that, um, that paradox that you just, you know, teased out for us in that song. This idea of like, you know, I'm incapable of being happy. You know, I make things in the hope that they'll come out of me and through that process others will identify with it and you know i'll find people that um share what you know these feelings and maybe in some way like are uplifted by my ability to put words to them but that doesn't happen at all it just makes me feel more alone that's what the last song on the purple mountains album is about the uh maybe i'm the only one for me Exactly. Like, goddamn. If 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 a title and the lyrics can go perfectly <laughs> together and get motherfucker, this is the song where that happens. Yeah. Because it's after you go through this whole shit of him kind of like detailing his feelings, you get to this last song and he's just like, Well, this is it. Maybe uh maybe I'm just not meant to be happy or be with other people and it's it a suicide note. I mean, it is in ways like a suicide note, you know, which it turned out to be. Obviously, maybe not he, directly. It was like, what, two months later? Right. A- after the album was released, he had uh, he killed himself. I mean, I and... often think like the thing with suicide is, is that, you know, we attribute narratives to it that I don't necessarily know are the case, right? Like, I, sure. I think by and large, a lot of times it's a snap thing, you know, uh, right? You know what I mean? You just like, you're in such a dark place. You can't imagine an alternative. You make a snap decision. You know, I mean, we've all made a lot of really bad snap decisions. They just haven't cost us our lives, you know, but it's hard not to see um, that choice in the context of all of these messages that he was giving us. Yeah. Every interview that I read uh, around, at least this, this time specifically the purple mountains time, like when he was talking about kind of getting back into it, he mentions every single interview with every single interviewer that there's been a hundred days within the last however many years where he was like, I don't know if I'm gonna wake up tomorrow. He just had this in him and whatever happened that day made it happen. And well, there's that, um, there's that famous, there's that famous New Yorker story about him that opens up with like, he was dead for X amount of minutes or whatever, you know, or, you know what I'm talking about. I can't remember the yeah. quote off the top of my head, but, um, and I just want to say like, and I'm not trying to be cheese dig here and stuff, but like, like, look, if you're listening to this and you're like in a dark place, which I have been there and I'm sure these gentlemen that are with me here have been there, you know, like, uh, you know, you should just, you got to reach out to somebody. You got to, you know, you got to, you got to call somebody, you got to do whatever it is that rages against the dying of that light. You know, I mean, you really do like, I'm not going to tell you that everything is going to get better. I mean, I can't guarantee that for anybody. But what I can tell you is that if you do nothing, nothing does. Yeah, check in on your peoples. 
checking on your friends. Just a quick what's up. It'll go a long way, y'all. Yep. And we're, and, and again, like, yeah, we we have fun and we and we joke around. And, I mean, we're probably going to joke around in 10 minutes, too. But at the end of the day, yeah, just like Dade said, if if you need a uh, – just like if, if you need somebody to talk to, reach out. And also what Dominique said, fucking check in on your people. Give somebody give somebody a hug. If 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 they're being fucking different at work or whatever, you don't have to be like, tell me everything that's going on. You know, a a, a quick side hug and just being like, hey man. Just human uh, solidarity. Uh, yep. You know what I mean? That's just some that goes basic human solidarity. Way. Yes. Yep. It really does. Unless you're the where my hug at, dude. And you don't deserve <laughs> any hug. hug at. And I hope no one touches you for the rest of your life. Where my don't hug be the at. where my hug at. <laughs> if they want to hug you, then you get a hug. Don't ask for the hug. You big old weird. Where my hug at? Arms already out. You already mid hug. Nah. Arms wide open. Scott Staff was the where my hug at, dude. He just yeah, got that's what the song is about. Jesus. Jesus was the original where my hug at. I my had a buddy. I lived in Tallahassee, Florida for a few years. And I had a buddy who lived in Creed's old house. And uh, <laughs> nice. I swear to God. And, um, That's the whole they, podcast of it in itself. There was like they jammed in the basement and stuff. And there was all this like, you know, like pro Jesus, like Jesus rocks, like graffiti and stuff like <laughs> on the walls. And I'm Jesus. not I mean, It literally shitty. said Jesus rocks. That's a quote. That's a direct quote. <laughs> you know, we're talking shit about Creed right now, but I'm not going to lie. From like, what, 98? I can't go there with you. I can't, I can't, I can't go there Boy. with you. Human clay. See, because, you know, and, and I they, do appreciate. Dave was too busy listening to, uh, he was too busy yeah. listening to Beck uh, Deep Cuts. That's right. That's right. that's right. No, I do. That's one of the things I do appreciate what you guys do is that, you know, you do create a safe space for the idea that like um you know nobody's cool all the time or whatever but well, i would come say out the cool. right and i think that's true uh for most people but um except dave except for me yeah that, that's true <laughs> i was really into underground music like in the late 90s i was listening to the royal trucks and shit and uh and back for sure i mean you know i mean it's now, back if it wasn't on trl i ain't want nothing to do with it <laughs> i just to me carson daly was the enemy you know, by that time, I mean, you know, I was at that time living, um, going back and forth between um, Pennsylvania and Florida a lot. And there were incredible underground music scene, like local music scenes in Gainesville and in Philadelphia, um, like, you know, really intense music scenes. And that just seemed so much more interesting to me. Like it felt, um, you know, like alive and accessible like that you could do it too you know i got fascinated with wanting to participate in underground culture and this idea that like there were all that there was this parallel structure basically that there was this whole other world that had nothing to do with what was on t television what was on rolling stone magazine or whatever you know that there was this, its own press its own values its its own sort of logistics you know labels uh iconography everything you know I, re I remember the first time like there was this guy i went to high school with his name was john golatz and he was the most punk rock person i ever met in my life he didn't have a backpack he had a pillowcase 
that he had just drawn like crass like symbols on. He drew Jansport on the back. <laughs> it was fucking rad, man. Like he like seriously, like he had like the crass like cross and fucking you know, bad religion and shit, like just and mm-hmm. I had never like seen anything like that before. Just like that idea that you could completely reject the con- all the conventions of square society. You know, I mean he was still going to school. I imagine that was for the lunches. But like nevertheless, right. you know. And that's where all the girls were too and stuff. You know. Well it's funny but, it's funny for us. We uh we didn't necessarily have a vocabulary. <laughs> we didn't have a vocabulary for like uh knowing what was like underground or not because we we just listened to it regardless. So like we were still listening to like stained and Hoobastank and like everything up uh, TRL, but at the oh. same time, was, but here's what's crazy: we was listening to like, like New York hardcore and like crazy metal that like nobody's ever heard of, sure, without even giving a shit. So we no difference to- between them exactly. No, nope. yeah. we would so, hang out with our yeah, square friends. Music. Be like, yeah. hey, check out was, this fucking. Was that in Arizona? Is that in yeah, Arizona? Yeah. Yeah, because okay, th- this supports my theory here because like, th- okay, so it's like for example, Arizona, you know, okay, there are spots, there are like specific places that are so unto themselves, and and they make like moves to do so. Like Michigan is like this too, you know, um, and I think it has to do with like peripheral states and stuff, you know, states where they're like at the edge of things like at the edge of the border or at the edge of like a habitable landscape and stuff like so mm-hmm. arizona for example you know as you know like has no time like there is arizona time there like it's its own time or whatever you know mountain time valley time and stuff like arizona doesn't subscribe to time along Nor the convention ever. <laughs> yeah exactly from my cold dead hands so like <laughs> You know, and and there's all these weirdos that have come out of Arizona and stuff. Like I'm thinking on the top of my head, you know, just from our own trouble country bullshit, you know, the brothers meet, right? Like the meat puppets and stuff, you know. Oh, so, yeah. Of course. And so in I think Arizona is a kind of a place is a kind of like a, a gumbo place. Like it's a place where all kinds of weird shit comes together and through a set of mysterious kind of geographic and market forces there is a kind of blending of all culture you know not necessarily in a utopic way like not i'm not talking about like this is new orleans in like the 19th century yeah. or something like i'm just saying it's like if you listen to the radio like rock radio in arizona in the late 90s you're going to hear an insane melange of sounds am i right i mean you that's exactly like what it right. was because yeah. uh, 103.9 the edge <laughs> They would play whatever was on the radio, but then they would also play kind of shit from earlier in the 90s, more like indie punk rock shit. And then on Sundays, they would have like an hour or two of death metal, play whatever they want. And then they'd have like a ska punk night Sunday right before death metal. So they found... Yeah, Arizona's a crazy place is what I'm trying to say. Like, you know, it's unique in that regard. Pretty nice. They had a pretty good scene. And we did have, uh, and I would say still do... Two of the best uh, emo slash indie bands of all time with Jimmy Eat World in the format. So I think we we did pretty well in the early two thousands up until now. So you know. you know, Jimmy Eat World is such a fascinating group. I mean, that's a whole other 
thing there, you know, cause I remember the Fueled by Ramen records, I think, right? Isn't that, wasn't that the, wasn't that the first sort of set of Jimmy Eat World records? This is like, uh, were they on Fueled by Ramen? Was that the well, first? I think I could be, you, you do the, you fact check me here, but, um, like I'm talking about before the butter, what, what was the butterfly record called? You know what I'm talking about? Anyway, you, you, you're going to do the work or whatever and, and get to the bottom of it and stuff. But Jimmy Eat World was another one where, um, you know, they took that, uh, they they took this sort of self conscious turn to embrace MTV, and you know, move away from sort of the confines of underground culture. But I don't think it rewarded them in the end. You know, I could be wrong. Well, what's well, what's wild is, uh, so Jimmy World, like, they were one of the first bands to like. They kind of came out the gate uh, on a major label with uh, Static Prevails and then Clarity, and it was okay. on Capitol. And then the the album Bleed so America they went back. So they went to no, Indy? they didn't know. Then they went to okay. DreamWorks, and that's when they blew up. Okay. So they've always had this like independent like uh, like worldview as far as touring and who they used to tour with and kind of who they tour with now. So they've never. Cause I remember when I when I first heard about them wasn't because I was from Arizona it was because of the uh, they had this compilation this emo compilation called Emo Diaries and they just <laughs> submitted like a couple of their songs to it was on Deep Elm Records and that's how I okay, heard here about it, is. it was like Jimmy Eat World self titled fueled by ramen February twenty or it says December fourteenth nineteen ninety eight was so it wasn't Static Prevails. This is Discogs. Um, no, it's uh, it's self-titled. Mm. And then looks like also Softer, um, Fueled by Ramen. Now, that could be like a distributor, too. Isn't it? We're way off track here. Um, also, also uh, look, how, I bet that album at least costs $200. <laughs> oh, yeah, for on sure. Discogs. I won't even... <laughs> I can't even participate in that bullshit. But... Um, <laughs> So basically, what we're trying to say is, "Bleed American" is a perfect album. One hundred and twenty-five dollars. No kids. No. One hundred and twenty-five dollars. Yeah. So it had to be like a weird, like yeah, just like I a came, quick distribution thing. I came to resent the term emo. I I was in Gainesville at the time, and there was a, a number of groups that I guess, you know, uh, probably participated in that genre. Chief among them being hot water music, right? Like that's who people would, I guess, identify. Is, is hot water music considered an emo band? I always thought them say. just to be punk rock, right? That's okay, fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. But um, definitely, like, uh, what about I hate myself? I guess that's screamo. Yeah, that was more like that the early beginnings of like screamo hardcore type stuff. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. where I we were sort of myself. trying to reconcile like hard the tradition of sort of hardcore music, grindcore music. And, you know, I guess really just an interest in song, right? Like people wanted to have songs and stuff, though, you know? Um, yep. So they were sort of caught betwixt and between or whatever. But I came to resent it, that term, emo. And what's crazy is, and I'm going to take it back to Berman. If you listen to <laughs> Dig That, so... I'm here for it. Two two people, like uh, contemporary cats that I listen to now that I think, like, are beyond heavily influenced, but in different ways as Kurt Vile and uh, Father John sure. Misty. Okay. Like, Father yeah, John Misty, he, I, I feel like Father John Misty's uh, 
like he's more in on the joke of being. He the, reminds uh, me of Randy Newman or something like that. You know what I mean? It, 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 Randy Newman with a with a with a Berman uh, sure. aesthetic almost. You know sure. what I mean? And yeah. Kurt Vile, it feels like more of his uh, guitar tone and, and and the way he makes music and approaches music. I think that's that's where that uh, Berman influence comes in. And I'm huge fans of those cats, and it's just it's really cool to see that like the Silver Jews albums were so heavily influenced by like this next generation of cats, and those are probably two of the bigger bigger acts out right now. And at least that, in the, at least in the indie in the indie realm of things. Totally, I think that influence is such a funny thing, you know, because it's a thing that people identify in retrospect. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Like yeah, often, for sure. right? So, and I think that there's a performative nature to influence, like, and, and it's not always cynical. I don't mean that to suggest that people are disingenuous. What I mean to say is, you know, when, when I give a talk or an interview or something and, and I'm asked, we started out this conversation, you asked some things I'm interested in, you know, I probably wasn't completely truthful. Instead, I said things that I want other people to look up that I love. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? What I'm trying to say, things that I sure. think are meaningful to me and that I want people who might share my sensibilities to find if they haven't found or whatever, you know? So sometimes I, I think like, and I, and I, I, but I think it's a really important point. Like the aesthetic points are undeniable. Like the case that you make aesthetically is, yeah. is obvious to me, like intuitive. And I agree. But I also think like, you know, circling back to that, to that uh that paradox that we highlighted earlier about like you know this inability to reconcile the intention from the outcome and feeling like disappointed Berman that is you know in his inability to reconcile why he does with he, what he does with the results that are created from him uh producing a song writing a book whatever you know um that that plays out in the way that that gap plays out in the way that other artists look to circulate his work. And I think that's become particularly true in light of the fact that he died by his own hand somewhat prematurely. You know, I, I think it was about, what was he? Was he in his 50s or something? I don't know. We we can check that out. Yeah, the, exactly. the can look it up. Yeah, you know. So, um, but I also wanted to say one other thing um, that is connected to that. You know, sort of when we were um, when you were helping this when we were setting it up. You know, we we're thinking about Berman as you know the Silver Jews as a project that's betwixt and between. You know, betwixt and between with his collaborator and friend. Stephen Malcolmus, you know, there and Bob Nostanovich, they all meet at uh, University of Virginia, which is a, obviously a great school. And mm -hmm. so that tells us something about um, their socioeconomic status, their demographics, so on and so forth, right? And um, so they, they find one another sort of in this space where they were probably, you know, outsiders. And, uh, you know, they are experimenting with different things. Malcolmus already has this other life connected to music with Spiral Stair and Gary Young in the form of Pavement, which would go on to way outstrip, outshine anything that the Silver Jews would do. Um, 
and also Berman finds you know his relationship to songcraft in a strange place because he does go to University of Massachusetts Amherst and get an MFA, which is a really you know prestigious um, Masters of Fine Arts writing program, and and yeah. he does release a, a, a work of um, collection of poetry that is um, still sought after to this day, actual air. And, you know, so I think that he was, to some extent, always uneasy with how he located um, the level of commitment and sincerity and craft in his songwriting versus what he probably saw as his more serious writing practice. At the same time, we can see he produced way more records than he did books. So yeah. what explains it? Do you see what I'm trying to say? I mean, if yeah. you talk to Berman, he probably thought of himself as a writer, not as a song, not as a musician and stuff. But he would say he saw his music as a part of his song, as a part of his writing craft, as you know, as a part of his work as a poet and stuff. But when push comes to shove, when we look at the numbers, he made way more records than he did books. That's interesting. And, and I appreciate that he did that because, like, yeah, he is a serious writer, but, like, you know, what, what's, what's, what's your medium? How are you going to get your shit out there? It's, I, I've never sold a book, but I would imagine, particularly at the time, pre-internet, it's probably harder to sell a book than it is, like, all right, well, you kind of already know my band. I'm just going to write these little four-minute short stories. Well, he was yeah. always putting the Jews in this place, too, is what I'm getting. I mean, I, you're totally dead on with what you're saying in terms of, you know, access and um, and, and just, uh, you know, ease of production and stuff. Yeah. You know, it, it was easier for him to make records than it was to publish books because he had this sort of undying allegiance of Drag City who was willing to, like, book him studio time and put out his records and stuff. And he similarly didn't have a literary agent that was, like, as compelled yeah, exactly. to you know, pioneer his vision and stuff, you know, but I also think that he consciously set up the Jews as this, the silver Jews as this thing that he was deep inside of him, but he also kept at a distance because the same way that he resented the silver Jews being called a side project to pavement, he similarly created the notion in regard in how he was regarded as a serious writer who makes records. He relegated his own, the Silver Jews, to a secondary status in his own practice. You see what I'm trying to say? Yeah. I don't so like that. Go ahead, go ahead. And so I'm just saying, it's like, we can see now how these songs, you know, particularly the two records that we've talked about today, you know, are vessels for grappling with this things that are ultimately irreconcilable in us as creative people, you know? Why don't we get the respect we so richly deserve? How, why, how can others understand us? And what do we get when they do? Look, I get it. I do improv. And, and, and it, put, put, give me a 10-minute set, and I'm hitting you with some grounded, impatient improv, funny characters, funny lines. I, where's my respect, America? <laughs> okay, improv is cool. Put some respect on his name. Yeah, put put some respect on my, on my crap. Put some respect on Dom's fucking name. Yeah, exactly. God damn it, I'm your favorite improviser's favorite improviser. <laughs> Underground. <laughs> God damn it. Tell him, tell him who you work with. 
<laughs> your mama. Oh, that's true. Yeah, right? boop, 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 boop. <laughs> All right. So I, I think a your mama joke is probably a good spot to uh, kind of wind down. Yes. I think we've um, reached the limits of, of the wisdom that I can give to you all. <laughs> yeah. And I, I was going to say, uh, before we, before we wrap it up, uh, did you have any like uh, final words or plugs or anything? Well, I am grateful to the listener for patronizing this podcast. And I hope that they similarly listen to the offerings of Trouble Country, which is a set of podcasts, really stories, I like to think of them as, that I produce along with a host of musicians and storytellers. And you can find that um, through uh, the internet, uh, just by typing Trouble Country Podcast into your search engine of choice. Um, not Ask Jeeves, though. Ask Jeeves is not a thing anymore. So Is that true? Probably Google or, or, or Yahoo. Yeah, don't be different. Just use Google. One of the ducks. I think there's a ducks thing. I don't yeah, know. Use that one, too. Bing. Yeah, I don't know. Bing, yeah. I'm not for it. And um, sure, uh, Cattywampus Press as well. C-A-T-T-Y-W-A-M-P-U-S. P-R-E-S-S. Is uh, also where we make books and records um, and all kinds of other Projects Dirty Dark Place is a curatorial project that we uh, produce, um, and uh, you know through that stuff you can find um, the various creative endeavors um, that we're up to. Dope, hell yeah, fucking love it. Uh, super glad we got you on. Uh, Pleasure is mine, boys. L- love Trouble Country. The Trouble Country is the shit. <laughs> We've been on it day one. Uh, can't wait to hear more episodes. Uh, so glad we got to do this. Duan, where can people find you on the interwebs? Uh, so to find me, you have to use Ask Jeeves. And I'll be at... Uh, <laughs> man, that's Polk- tough. You Polk- shouldn't sign that exclusive deal. We told you not to sign that exclusive deal, man. The, the, that internet you got uh, all mixed up with 99. I was, I was hoping it was going to ride it out. Big on the four loco, and we we saw it coming. I, I I was down with sparks, and that didn't really work out either. So <laughs> I just I just made bad decisions. Surge, um, anyway, yeah. <laughs> surge. <laughs> you can find me uh, on uh, Instagram at polecat underscore supreme. Uh, I don't mess with Facebook or Twitter because they're nonsense. Wise. Um, and f- make sure to follow the podcast at Country Brothers Pod on Instagram. So, yeah. What about you, Dom? Uh, you can find me at Johnson on uh, Instagram <laughs> and Twitter. Uh, sometimes I do stuff on TikTok, Dom as in beer. And uh, everybody, after you get done with this, listen to some uh, Silver Jews. Definitely listen to the Purple Mountains record. And Do uh, it before you go out and have fun, though. Yes. Yeah, do it before you go out and have fun. And then when you get back or from having fun. Or speak to an elderly relative. Like, if you're going to call an elderly relative, you know, Somebody who's like yeah. really, it's questionable. This might be the last conversation you have. It'll you put definitely you in a good to, yeah, to prepare be you for proactive about talking to the old people in your life. <laughs> <laughs> and also uh, listen to uh, Metasexual by Joy Drop. <laughs> More late 90s MTV shit. It's fucking great. The best song is called have, Beautiful. If you guys have never heard Uncle Rabbit in Your Headlight, listen to that. But you got to watch the video. It's yeah, the dude the from Radiohead 
And it's not a bunch of ble- see that was around the time he was doing all that bleep blop noise bullshit with Kid A. This yeah. is different. This is better. Country brothers don't fuck with bleeps and bloops. We don't that's do bleep like, bloops, uh, Kid A. That's like that's what they'd be blasting at me and Gu- in my Guantanamo cell. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'd be giving up state secrets. Yeah, like, immediately. Just whatever it takes to make it stop. For him, Kid A is the Dave Matthews band of bleep blop noises. I fucking hate Radiohead. I fucking hate Radiohead. I hate Radiohead yeah, more than I hate Willie Nelson. <laughs> now that's where we end it. All right, y'all. Peace.